We have a new mailing list and you can subscribe to it right now to get notifications every time a new episode comes out. Just head to jtimes.jp slash deep dive sub. And the link is in the episode notes. Well, how do you feel now, by the way? Physically. Yes, physically. Let's start physically. Well, I'm mostly better. I still have a slight cough. Um, I do think I get tired easily still. Hmm. And I certainly did after getting out of hospital. Hello, and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. This week, a conversation with staff writer Ryusei Takahashi, who's been talking with people hospitalised with COVID-19 in Japan, and hearing about how their lives have changed after they've been discharged. Ryusei, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about hospitalizations today and about people you've interviewed who've been hospitalized here in Japan. But first... Let's start with a quick update on Japan's coronavirus situation at the time of recording. Right. So as of this week, the country has recorded 16,000 cases and around 700 deaths. The state of emergency that was declared on April 7 and then later extended to the rest of the country is set to expire at the end of this month on May 31st. But the government is set to reassess the situation on or around May 14th this week. So that's discussing the potential to actually reduce the length of the state of emergency in some parts of Japan before May 31st. Right, or to ease off of restrictive measures leading up to the 31st, at least in certain parts of the country. And what about the number of cases as a whole? You said there are around 16,000 cases nationwide at the moment, but are we seeing the number of new cases going up or going down? Is there good news as to the direction of that trend line? Well, that's a really good question, and it's difficult to answer because all we have at this point is speculation and incomplete data. At least in Tokyo, it does seem like the numbers are going down, or at the very least, plateauing. Daily new cases in Tokyo have been under 40 for a week for the first time in, I think, over a month. There was a time when the capital was recording more than 200 cases a day, and that was around when everybody thought Tokyo was about to become the next New York City. For the time being, it seems like the city, as well as most other parts of the country, have sort of avoided that disaster scenario. Throughout this whole period, you've been one of the Japan Times' main reporters on the ground. You've been out at the Tokyo Metropolitan Government most of the time. You've written about how Tokyo's been handling the situation. You've been looking at how hospitals are handling the situation. And recently, you've been talking to a number of people who have actually been hospitalized after testing positive with COVID-19 in Japan. So tell me about those people and the reporting you've done there. Right, so the idea started with this realization that I didn't understand the individual impact the the coronavirus has. I mean, it, it goes without saying that testing positive for an infectious disease isn't an enjoyable experience. I mean, you have to take the tests, which don't sound fun. You have the symptoms, which include fevers, coughing, headaches. Then you're hospitalized, sometimes, or almost always for weeks. And then at the end of it, you still have to take tests to be discharged from the hospital. And then you hope that you recover. 
But what I found in speaking to these individuals who have gone through all of that is that it's just not over because you've been discharged or because you recover from the symptoms. Some of the things that happen to you while you're in the hospital or afterwards just stick with you. And how many people did you end up being able to speak to? And was it easy to find people who were willing to talk? So I spoke to five people total, four of whom asked to remain anonymous for various reasons. Some of them were worried that releasing their identity would affect their jobs or relationships. Others talked about this stigmatization or prejudice that they felt they were receiving after having recovered. There's a, there's a dose of irony in that because anybody who's been discharged from a hospital has been tested twice with negative results, but then afterwards they're given side-eye and these sort of snide remarks from people who have neither been tested um, nor hospitalized. Yeah, I think it's a pretty high horse to sit on if you haven't even been tested yourself. You said that four people that you spoke to asked to remain anonymous, but what can you tell me about the fifth? So I spoke to Jamie Finley, who teaches English at universities in Kanagawa Prefecture in Fujisawa City. I was hoping we could start by asking you to sort of explain what happened from whatever point in time you think okay. is most appropriate. Right, okay, well, in uh, March, uh, I went back to the UK to see my father. Um, obviously, it was a difficult decision to go ahead with that, but my father um, had been seriously ill, he had cancer, and I wanted to see him, you know. So Jamie was in the UK for about a week, staying with his parents and other family. And soon after returning to Japan, both Jamie and his father started to show symptoms for COVID-19. The day after I got back, my father started to show symptoms and was taken to hospital. He was um, considered very vulnerable because he was on chemotherapy. And a few hours later, I also started to get a fever. My temperature jumped up two degrees in a day from 36 to 38 so I went to get a test but uh, I couldn't get a an actual test for the coronavirus at the time they tested for everything else which I think is policy right then a couple of days later it was confirmed that my father definitely had COVID-19 so I went back no I called up and they said come in for a proper test this time and they actually gave me a test, mm. and then it was confirmed positive, so I was told to come into hospital. So getting tested in Japan has been sort of a topic of discussion in recent weeks. There have been reports of people with symptoms who are having trouble getting tested. Um, they'll go to a doctor or what in Japan they call a hokenjo, which is the government medical facility slash entity that's responsible for administering and approving tests. There have been several cases in which people with symptoms are sort of given the roundabout. It seems like whenever they want to get tested for the coronavirus, they get every other test, like blood work, um, CT scans for pneumonia, um, things like that. And in Jamie's case, he did describe sort of having to negotiate with doctors, um, to get a PCR test, but what made the difference in the end was his mentioning of his father 
who had already tested positive. So as soon as they had that positive confirmation, that was when the doctors were allowed or were able to give Jamie the test for COVID-19. Right. And that goes in line with the other sources I spoke to as well. In most cases, um, mentioning that they had been in contact recently with somebody who was already tested positive or they were involved in a cluster nearby or somewhere else in the country. Basically mentioning that gave the medical personnel on the other side of the phone the green light to cut through some bureaucratic red tape and administer a test. The trouble is that in Japan, these doctors and medical professionals are strictly bound by regulations and protocol that only allow them to administer tests in certain situations. I mean, the premise behind that is Japan's strategy from the start to focus on vulnerable populations and sort of reactively test and not seek out cases in an attempt to lighten the burden on hospitals and the healthcare system. But in Jamie's case, as well as the sources I spoke to, this means that they really need to check all the boxes in order to get tested for the coronavirus. Tell me about a couple of the other people that you that you managed to speak to for this article. So the other individuals I spoke to were mostly linked to a cluster in Sendai. Um, it made the news when it happened in March. Um, it was a cluster related to a hub, which is this... A British pub. Yeah, I'll leave... Fine British establishment. You're the authority on counterfeit English culture in Japan, <laughs> so I'll leave that one up to you. But the the hub cluster in Sendai was covered heavily, and so media uh, really hounded down anybody and everybody who may have had any sort of connection to the situation. So the individuals I spoke to were very careful about what details they gave me. Almost all of them didn't want me to use their names, gender, nationality, uh, place of residence, or occupation. Um, so while it is sort of difficult to talk about their stories, I think their experiences still speak to something important about the lasting impact that this this situation can have on individual lives. When they sought to be tested, did they have to go through the same rigmarole with potentially showing some symptoms, but then not actually receiving a test for coronavirus directly? What Jamie went through, needing to explain this connection he has to a possible COVID patient, um, the sources connected to the Sendai cluster went through the same thing. Um, they really had to negotiate with doctors, um, talking about their symptoms that obviously pointed towards them having the disease, um, but still doctors were resistant. So in the end, mentioning the, the cluster and their presence at Hub on that day was sort of the kicker for doctors. Um, and as soon as they mentioned that, they got tested right away. So once Jamie had been tested for coronavirus and tested positive and then gone into hospital, how did he find his time there? So he only had positive things to say about the treatment he received in hospital. Hospital staff were very kind to him. They they made a point of starting conversations with him, whether they um, were too busy or not. They always tried to sort of cheer him up. Um, so while he was in hospital, Jamie shared a room with three others, all of whom were Japanese men. He spent a total of about 18 days in hospital, uh, during which time his symptoms were pretty common for coronavirus patients. Um, 
They didn't sound enjoyable, obviously, but he wasn't classified as a severe case. So he wasn't put on a ventilator or anything like that? No. I had symptoms really pretty much for the first week. Fever sometimes, though not too badly. Uh, a cough. Actually, the cough continues. I still have the cough bit. Um, I had pneumonia, which was fairly slight. They couldn't find it in the x-ray. They found it in a, in a CT scan. But they were concerned, so they put me onto the drug Avigan. Based on what he said, his symptoms seemed to be at their worst right after he became hospitalized, and they just got better and better. And by the time he was discharged, he said he was feeling, feeling pretty okay. Um, I just spoke to him on the phone a few hours before this, and it sounds like he still has a mild cough. Um, but other than that, he, he said he's doing pretty well. So he was sharing a ward room with three others. Was that quite a common experience amongst those you talked to? Well, yeah, several of the individuals I spoke to um, also shared their hospital room with other patients. Some of them, when they were first admitted to the hospital, had their own room to themselves, maybe for a week or two, which I assume was the period in which doctors were trying to see how bad their symptoms were. Um, Others were admitted straight into rooms shared by other patients, and it all depends on the situation at that hospital. They were all treated in different hospitals, so it depends on what prefecture they're in, what ward, what city, the accommodations available at said hospital, and sort of the the capacity of the the facility itself. One of the stories that you wrote recently was all about hospitals and whether they were at capacity, potentially going to be over capacity. From talking to these people, did they have any sense of whether the hospital was running close to capacity? Honestly, doesn't sound like it. That's the question I asked every person I spoke to. It felt filled up when I was I was the first person in that room hmm. for a few hours. Another guy arrived later that day. Another guy two days later and another guy two days after that, I think. But then it went down. After that was that was full. After the first guy left, that bed was never replaced. So that was still empty. There were apparently two other rooms, though, with people in, according to the nurses. They said it was getting busier, but then it seemed to get less busy. That's sort of the story going on in Japan uh, right now, or it has been for a few months now. Um, this whole notion that the healthcare system could collapse, um, as you would say in Japanese. But from a first-person perspective, um, the sources I spoke to just described, I hesitate to call it a normal stay at a hospital, but I don't know how else to describe it. It sounds like they were a, they were a patient for a few weeks. Um, doctors came in, spoke to them, and from their end, they were pretty happy with the treatment they received. And while Japan's healthcare system has had to adapt... Objectively speaking, it's not as bad in this country as it is elsewhere, especially in the United States and other European countries. Now, if it's all right with you, I was going to ask about how you're doing emotionally. When did you get news of your father's passing? Um, it was about a week after he was hospitalized. I think. I think it was the 31st of March. It was partway through his stay at the hospital that Jamie learned that his father had passed away in the UK. And how did he actually sent a goodbye email a few days before because he knew he was aware that he couldn't recover. 
Wow. Which is very sweet. Because of his father's underlying condition, Jamie and his family were afraid of this from the start. I mean, you, you can imagine how hard it must have been for Jamie to be stuck in the hospital trying to deal with his own infection. Um, after hearing that news... I don't feel like I haven't had a sort of proper, I think, sense of loss yet. I think it will take a long time. And I think I couldn't think about it as much as well because I was in hospital being part of it with the same illness that he had. It's hard because my mother's on her own. My, you know, none of the family could see her. We couldn't really have a proper funeral. That's obviously difficult. But the world has got everybody's got a difficult story at the moment, haven't they? Whether he wasn't able to be with his family, like his mother back in the UK, um, or attend his father's funeral. But Jamie said he was really glad that during his visit to the UK, he could see his father one last time. I can't really imagine being stuck in the hospital while a close relative or loved one um, outside passes away and the rest of your family is going through that and not being able to console them properly. So I imagine Jamie's mind must have turned pretty quickly to how he was actually going to get out of hospital, how he was going to be discharged. So what is the policy on that and how do people get out of hospital once they've tested positive for coronavirus so in japan to be discharged from the hospital you have to test negative twice most patients are tested once every two days um so if you're there for 10 days you'll probably be tested five times and each of these tests is the really horrible looking pcr test that goes up your nose and into the back of your throat yeah it doesn't sound fun it was a vile test where they stick a sort of it's like a cotton bud up your nose Mm-hmm. so far <laughs> that you have no idea that it goes back in about a foot <laughs> no, maybe it wasn't quite that long it was really horrible I think every individual I spoke to was in the hospital for, for more than a week or two sometimes longer um, so that just means lots of tests once every two days um, test after test after test and and some of them even tested positive after testing negative more than once so they went negative positive negative positive and then maybe positive positive negative negative and then they were finally discharged i mean the whole reliability of a pcr test is under question um it's not 100 percent accurate which is demonstrated by the fact that you can test positive after testing negative um so whether testing negative twice is conclusive i can't say but that's that's the system in Japan right now. And it was deemed enough for them to actually be discharged from hospital in those cases. I, again, the, like, the emotional rollercoaster of going negative, I might be out in two days, to then getting a positive result after that. That must have p- played havoc with the kind of emotional stability in hospital, especially when you're you know, desperate to get out. Yeah, no kidding. Um, can't really imagine what that's like. So now all the people that you spoke to are actually out of the hospital. And you said early on that one of the big takeaways of this so far for you is that, you know, the the effects of the coronavirus haven't really ended for them having left hospital. 
So how are they all doing now? How, how are they getting on? Well, physically, they're recovering or have recovered completely. But in each case, the, the whole process of becoming infected, hospitalized, and then discharged, it's left this sort of lasting impact on their lives in different ways. Um, I mean, Jamie lost his father. Some non-Japanese residents I spoke to, um, they described worse xenophobia and prejudice than, than before the coronavirus. And that can be due to a lot of things. Um, in regards to the, the cluster in Sendai, um, they said they believe media really put the blame on foreign residents. I mean, the cluster happened at Hub, which, as you know, is mostly catered to foreign residents. You go to any hub in any part of the country and you see a lot of non-Japanese people. So the media really sort of doubled down on that aspect of the story. And as a result, the individuals I spoke to believe that the sort of treatment they receive on a daily basis was impacted. And what about the Japanese person you spoke to who was associated with that cluster? So the Japanese individual I spoke to had a very different experience following his discharge from the hospital. Even... A few weeks after recovering, he said that one of the biggest things that stuck with him is this sort of prolonged sense of guilt uh, for having subjected himself to a situation in which he could have been infected in the first place. Um, because that's that's sort of the whole purpose of social distancing, right? It is to keep yourself away from situations that are risky. Um, in which you could become infected, not just to protect yourself, but to protect the people around you, family, friends, and loved ones. And while not everyone can avoid those situations, whether it's because of work or other commitments in their lives, um, we can avoid bars. And the hub is one of those places. That's what stuck with the the individual I spoke with. He felt guilty for having been there in the first place, um, he felt guilty for putting his coworkers at risk, uh, putting his friends at risk, putting the people around him at risk. It's hard to say how long that sense of guilt is going to last. And how is Jamie doing after all of this? Yeah, it's on moving forward, I suppose. Uh, I'm back working now on distance so online classes. Hmm. Have started. I think Jamie is just focused on recovering, trying to keep in contact with his, his family as much as possible. Um, he's got family outside of Japan and outside of the UK as well. He's got siblings too. Uh, he's a teacher, and so now he's trying to teach his students remotely, which is a whole other aspect of this, this whole situation. So for Jamie and the others I spoke to, even though they may have been discharged from the hospital and recovered from the novel coronavirus, that doesn't mean they're returning to the lives they had before. The pandemic is still ongoing, and most aspects of life remain different. Just because they've recovered from the coronavirus doesn't mean that they've been delivered from the global pandemic. Risei, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. As of Thursday, Kyoto reports that the government is planning to lift the state of emergency in 39 of Japan's 47 prefectures. Eight prefectures, which include Hokkaido, Saitama, Chiba, Tokyo, 
Kanagawa, Kyoto, Osaka, and Hyogo will likely remain under the state of emergency due to high infection numbers. In other news, staff writer Magdalena Osumi reports that the coronavirus outbreak in Japan is creating new hurdles for people with disabilities. These challenges make many disabled people worry that the pandemic will slow down Japan's progress toward a barrier-free society. Links to both those articles and other reading relevant to today's episode will be in the episode notes. That's it for this week. My thanks to both Jamie Finley and Ryusei Takahashi. Until next time, stay well and potsukare-sama.